Welcome to the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition, recorded March 14th, 2014. And today we're going to be talking to somebody once again that has a project right now that you can go check out on Kickstarter. Who am I talking to on Skype today? This is Ben Harkins with Floodgate Games. Yes. Ben and I have known each other for a while, and uh, if you've been listening for a while, especially through the main podcast, we did, uh, the first time I talked to Ben was back in the Con of the North, I believe it was a 2013 special? Yeah. Yeah, was it that one? Yeah, I think so. okay. (laughs) So the Con of the North special, and that was the last time we got to talk on the podcast. I was hoping to talk to him this year at Con of the North. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to go. And uh, we've been kind of talking back and forth and, and about his new project, Epic Resort. And Ben's actually here in Minnesota with me, so we, sh- we should probably get together more than we do, but we don't live that close together. <laughs> I just kind of feel like, I was telling you before we started, I completely spaced that you haven't actually been on the game of crowdfunding side of things. Yeah. This, is, this will be my first time, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I was going into it. It's like, oh, this whole month is all return guests and old friends. And, of course, you are an old friend, but uh, you're actually not a return guest to the game of crowdfunding. This is your first time. I'll be gentle. I, I will try. <laughs> so what that does mean, of course, and I get to ask the warm-up questions that we tend to ask first-time guests. So, Ben, are you ready? I'm ready. All Bring right. it. Besides making awesome games and running Floodgate games, what do you do as a profession, sir? I manage a team of software developers here in Minneapolis, so a lot of computer stuff. Another tech guy. Another tech guy in game design. Of course. The crossover is unavoidable, I think. I've been trying to keep track, and it's high percentage of tech IT people and a high percentage of teachers, and I've even had at least one mix of the two. (laughs) Great. All right, so what makes you a geek, sir? Uh, What makes me a geek? I just absolutely love intricate, dynamic, story-driven events and activities and so forth. And I think board gaming and geek culture just feeds right into that for me. Okay. And something that I like to ask and we talk about off and on on the main podcast is that, uh, you know, you can truly geek out about anything uh, if you're passionate about it. So do you have any geek level passions for something that, say, the outside world would not consider a geeky thing? I would have to say electronic music, actually. I've been uh, an electronic music DJ for quite some time and I just dig for great music all the time and I'm constantly listening for new stuff and I would have to say I definitely geek out about that. I would agree. I've, <laughs> uh, I, I've uh, seen some of your, your stuff, and we've talked about it in the past, and, and definitely something that uh, you have a, a high-level passion for that uh, the outside world may not consider geeky, but I think you've got a, a good passion for that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Th- those were our warm-up questions. So let's see. Where do I want to take this? Ben, you are not new to Kickstarter. No. So you have had past projects. So I'm going to go uh, fair step back. So uh, you've got your day job. You've got your uh, passionate hobby in the evenings. What made you decide, I want to A, design games, and B, create kind of like a publishing company around it? So what made you decide you wanted to take this from you know just a, a spare hobby type thing to an actual profession level type thing? Yeah, that's a great question. My love for making things has been with me my entire life. And I actually made a few, not many, but a few uh, really terrible, awful board games as a as a kid <laughs> and kind of took a, took a break from that while I was in school and so forth and picked up some regular gaming groups in my more recent years. And through some discussions, we were talking about how there aren't very many games about time travel as a concept. So I kind of took that as a challenge and and that was my first big endeavor back into designing games was what ended up being Legacy Gears of Time, the first game that, that I released. And to answer the second half of your question, I had a vision for what I wanted it to be from the beginning. And I felt like publishing it myself was the only real way to make sure that got captured in its entirety and to be able to kind of shape the entire project how I wanted it to be from the beginning. So, so far, all of your projects that have been on Kickstarter have been things that you've designed yourself, correct? 
Yeah, I've had four projects. Each of them were a tabletop game project, and they were each my design. So as far as Floodgate Games is concerned, are you potentially looking to be like a full-blown publisher, or are you really just happy in the self-publishing gaming space uh, and having a name, company name for your stuff? I think at this point I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with it, but I do have some designs that some close friends of mine are working on that are really coming along, and they're very interested in having me uh, publish them. And I think that'd be a that'd be a really interesting shift in in how I've been approaching publishing games so far. But I'm I'm definitely open to the uh, to the new challenges that come along with that. Because I I do remember our time at Gen Con and having a few people approach you uh, at your booth <laughs> and uh, <laughs> hoping that you would take a look at their games. And I don't think you and I ever. I mean, again, it was Gen Con and you were uh, manning a booth, so I, I tried not to take up too much of your time. <laughs> but I don't think we ever actually had that conversation. If that was something you were actually interested in, because I knew at the time it was I don't have time right now. Contact me later. Yeah. But you and I didn't really have that part of the conversation i don't think at that time so it's something i'm kind of was kind of curious about definitely well exhibitor hall hours at gen con is pretty much the worst time to uh contact anybody <laughs> who's trying to run a booth but it's just a pro pro tip for anyone out there yeah do not do Wait, not so. approach somebody during exhibitor hours and say hey i've got this game let me show it to you for the next 30 minutes exactly. while a line forms behind you <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We were pretty busy last year, which was fantastic. But yeah, it doesn't leave much time for checking out other people's ideas. So you mentioned uh, Legacy Gears of Time, which came on the scene and, and did very well and was very well received across the board. It's a great game. Leading into putting it up, what was your thought process behind taking it to Kickstarter at that time? So for your first game going into a Kickstarter project? So my idea for that was just to see if other people were interested in it beyond the immediate group of friends and family that I had playing this game with me. We play tested quite a bit and it was really fun. We were enjoying it quite a bit. And I thought, hey, I, this is something I want to see if other people are interested in too. So that was always kind of the original positioning for it. I, I never really anticipated it being quite as well received as it seemed to be, which was phenomenal. I, I've had such a blast interacting with folks and, and growing floodgate to be what it is right now well it's definitely a, a favorite here at all us geeks jordan and i play it off and on i know we've taught it at a couple game days and uh it's just a beautiful game you, you've done an excellent job there sir thank you i appreciate that <laughs> and when you actually did that project and this was back in 2012 right you got it Okay. There probably wasn't as much advice around this, but I mean, you kind of came in and, and the advice today is usually like, find your small project, build your base and lead up to a larger project. And and for the time and for what you, what this game is and for what you're looking for, this is a pretty big project for your first project. And you were very successful. I mean, you knocked what you were looking for out of the park. Yeah. How did you feel coming into Kickstarter, putting it up and just, I mean, you know, like pushing that publish button for the first time, how did that feel? It was, it was pretty exciting. The original plan was just to basically have everything printed and kind of sourced by me and assembled together in, in, in a small box and, and whatnot. And just kind of, I didn't expect much more than hopefully reaching my funding goal and having enough funds to put a few copies together and so forth. But after I saw that, the reception was, was so good, I had to scramble to make sure I had the right connections and make sure I was doing it justice, so to speak. I think people people expected quite a bit out of it at that time. So it was really fun to step up and, and make it a proper board game that was professionally manufactured and assembled and has a, a more refined look. I don't know if you recall from the page, the graphic design was all done by me and it's absolutely terrible. <laughs> it, it got the job done, but definitely was not was not the ideal scenario. So I was able to, with the extra funds, hire a professional graphic designer and really give the game what it what it needed in terms of look and feel. So your first project was like a huge I mean th this is going to sound kind of kind of goofy but it was a, a huge learning curve for you and and what I mean by that is all of these resources that are popping up today I mean even as early as 2012 there weren't as many things to help research. I mean just listening to you is like you're going off I'm going down the checklist in my head of no you'd never do that. No you you know what I mean? Yep. <laughs> Kickstarter exclusive components? What? 
Not a good idea. Well, just, and, you know, listening to like, well, I had so much money, now I had to figure out how to make it a real game through manufacturing and, you know, stuff right. like that is, is kind of crazy to think of. But I mean, there, it, it really was that time and a little before was there was no no process there was i mean it was all still really being figured out at that time oh right yeah that i mean i feel like that was the time when the community was sort of getting their feet wet to form the the consulting and the uh the learnings that we have available now in fact i think you and i actually didn't start talking until almost uh the time for forbidden machines the the expansion to come up i think that's about the time you and i met yeah. and uh started talking and and i know and and of course we did it at conventions and i know you're very big on on doing demos and stuff in local conventions yeah definitely there's other non kickstarter related questions i'm going to get to but since we're here sure <laughs> <laughs> that's fine going from legacy and well, okay, first of all, before I even go to that, Legacy got produced and got made and got out in the hands. Now, if I remember it, did you ha you didn't have any reviews for Legacy that I'm aware of during the, the Kickstarter? Or did oh, you no. get some late? Nope, that was that went in completely raw. That's what I thought. Yep. And then so you've got this game, and again, that was in a time where people were just starting to kind of figure out, hey, there's reviewers out here and they will help us out. <laughs> or, you yeah. know, they'll they'll give opinions and people might actually want to know that. So, I mean, again, it was just this early time in Kickstarter that a lot of people probably can't fathom if they've just recently found Kickstarter, especially in the board game realm. Yeah, certainly. The projects now are so refined compared to what they were. And I mean, it's almost toxic to not have at least one review when you launch a project. So I guess what I wanted to to kind of get a feel from you for, how how did it feel then you got funded? And of course, that was a, a good experience. But beyond that, because it was, it was after the campaign and a little before, probably even before you had launched Legacy, at, or the Forbidden Machines anyway, at least, reviewers started kind of picking up on the game and started talking about it. How was that feeling to see your first game uh, not only be successful and get out there, but people that look at games critically were talking about how great your game was. Yeah, that was that was amazing. It's so validating to have that sort of feedback where these are people who, like you, you I mean, see game after game after game, and, and to hear people mention things like that something is unique or something is interesting or captivating, that's the biggest compliment I think you could receive. And fun. That's my big thing is I just cannot wait to hear a reviewer say they had fun. That's that's kind of the pinnacle compliment to me. So then you were gearing up for Legacy Forbidden Machine. So you were ready to do an expansion in 2013? Yep. It was roughly a year after, right? Yeah, yeah. Almost to the day. I think it was a okay. year and a week between project launches. Yeah. So you're gearing up for that. What did you take out of your first project as a learning experience to roll into, you were coming in with an expansion, so you had a known thing, but did you learn anything after the fact about Kickstarter or the new rules that were coming up in Kickstarter probably that year later? So at the time, I think the biggest learning was to have some sort of social proof or validation that, hey, this is, this is something that you can get behind because these trusted sources agree. And I didn't necessarily have a ton of preview or review material on the expansion, Forbidden Machines, but I, I think having a compendium of reviews for the base game at the time was was what was necessary there to, to basically say, yes, you can come into this cold and get an idea for what it is and get an, sort of an unbiased opinion on the base game and then just kind of look at the points at how, how the expansion expanded on those concepts and does that look interesting and so forth. I think that was the biggest takeaway. I would say the second biggest takeaway was just refining the the flow of the project page, what information you put where and how you kind of as someone's reading the page does it does it tell a story beyond just about the game but kind of here's about the game and then following into here's what you're going to get or do you lead with stretch rewards first? All those little decisions you you kind of start to realize really add up to to the experience that a potential backer has when they when they first visit your your project page. Yeah, see, now you're starting to get into the time where there was the checklist <laughs> to yeah. kind of follow to, to <laughs> launch a Kickstarter. And uh, you're right. I mean, you know, those are all things that you got to kind of think of. It's not just, I think that there's a couple things that are gone that are uh, 
Kickstarter, at least on the gaming side, is done with. And one of them is pretty much just a plain text. <laughs> just here's paragraphs and paragraphs about my project. Good or bad, it's become a, a very visual thing. Yeah. And that's where some people struggle because it's like, well, I, where do I get the extra graphics and all that kind of stuff? And, you know, I'm asking for money and I don't, ha you know, but you, you've got to have, you got to put aside some money for a small subset of things that you definitely need to have. And then the other thing that I think is totally gone is kind of along that lines is basically just not having any piece of finished art. I think the, the days are gone of saying, hey, guys, here's my idea scribbled on this piece of paper, which early on there was there was a bit of that. Yeah. I think those days are gone to, to, to be able to say, here's my idea. I need it funded from day one to the day it gets in your hands. And of course, then of course the layout of, of the, the actual project is another one, which again, we, we just talked about, but the, the whole visual breakdown of how you lay that out. So those are two things I think are just gone. Yeah. And it, interestingly, I, I feel like the game experience is so tightly coupled to the look and feel and not just from the illustrations, but the, the graphical components and do, do they help set the scene and, and get you involved in what this game is all about thematically and mechanically and and do they get out of the way when they need to or are they in your face when they need to be and i think that's ultimately why it's very important to, to show that you have a vision in that direction with a game project as well mm -hmm. and it's not just a matter of oh i don't have flashy art that looks really cool it's more like well you've got part of the story of what your game is all about but you don't have the rest of the uh the immersion here and and the uh, the escapism through through the visual portions of the experience. So I think that plays into why it's so important. Well, I, you know, and I I have to agree with that quite a bit. And one of the things since we're talking about, I mean, the artwork on Legacy is great, but it's not the. 3d in your fit you know what i mean it's not it's not like all you know it's it's not super super clean uh computer generated cgi you know what i mean you know what i'm trying <laughs> yeah. to get at oh yeah but for the game and and for like the backstory a little bit of the game and and everything it's it's very beautiful and, and does a very good job for the game that's being presented and that you play and it does exactly what you were saying it tells that story of you know these people kind of traveling back through time and messing with time and, and stuff and it does a really good job with all of that so and it conveys it really well and it conveyed it ver very well on both of the uh, projects and people could really see that and get a good feel for it. And, you know, like you were trying to say earlier, which I don't think it was, it was as bad as you think it was, but, you know, your early art was, was you, but you had something there, right? I mean, you had something to help present and tell the story. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I feel like kind of capturing, if you're, if you're kind of on the whimsical edge, I think you need to definitely play on that. And, I mean, ultimately, it's all about having fun and everybody kind of has fun in, in different ways. And, as long as everything's cohesive, I think, and of course makes sense, I think most people can enjoy the entire experience. So Legacy Forbidden Machines, which was the expansion, was successful as well. Yep. And as far as I know, I mean, you, you know, obviously you <laughs> probably keep a tighter watch than I have, but I know uh, from what I recall and, and from what I've seen, and of course, uh, I, I don't think we've actually gotten a chance to play with Forbidden Machines. I do have it, but I haven't played with it yet. We just, every time, I think the the last time we taught it, it was actually somebody else's copy that didn't know how to play. So we, we said, yeah, bring it out and we'll teach it to you. Uh, but from what I recall, uh, it was very well-received uh, as well. It was a, a well-received expansion. So, I mean, again, how does how does that feel? I mean, you, you had lightning strike twice in, in a manner of speaking. Yeah, it, it's, it was really great. I had some, some good feedback. Most of Forbidden Machines was a set of ideas that I had set aside from the initial game design. Kind of said, what's here? What ended up in the box for Legacy was was enough. That was a game and, and conveyed the ideas. And then sort of introducing the abilities on the technologies and so forth was, well, that's kind of hard mode or, or more advanced. So I really set those aside for the expansion. And it was, it was amazing to see people really enjoy the fact that you can play this base game as it is and, and have a great time. And then once you play that a few times and you're looking for a little bit more of a challenge, then step up to the, to the sort of more complex puzzles that you're solving and so forth in, in terms of 
now I have more creative ways to get to hatch my plans and so forth. But I did take some feedback on that the uh, the fate cards that are in the base game were probably the least well received aspect of the game, and and I made sure I made a point to to not include those in the expansion. So it was a much more deterministic experience and. Uh, the information was well known, and nothing kind of blindsided any of the players. Yeah, the uh, the fate cards could potentially add a little bit of randomness to it, but I, I kind of dug it. But yeah, I I do recall that for for bid machines, they are kind of taken out, and you're really looking at that more, uh, more almost more Euro feel from start to finish at that point, uh, with okay. a good theme on it. <laughs> and one of the reasons why I kind of wanted to ask you that and 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 see what you thought is because you know we all have games that we love, and then we all have expansions to games that we're like, yeah, this could have not been made. <laughs> I mean, they exist, so I mean, it, it's got to feel good to know that people actually do value the uh, expansion that you put out and you put time into. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it feels great. And the thing that I I kind of was afraid of to start with is that it would it would come across as a sort of hurt and rescue situation where it's like oh this is a bunch of stuff that really should have been in the base game but i really didn't get any feedback like that so it was really nice as well that, that even with the expanded sort of varied content it still feels like the base game can stand on its own all right so then you know we've had our two successful projects now uh, are you willing to talk about the uh, one that was unsuccessful oh absolutely yeah <laughs> i'll just kind of uh start by saying a little bit if anybody that's heard me kind of refer to somebody that's had very successful projects and then had a another project launch that wasn't successful it's actually Ben and Floodgate Games that I've kind of been referring to because this sticks out very well in my mind because Ben and I actually had some conversation around towards the end of King of Clubs and, and him trying to get that funded. So I, I, I guess I'll just throw it over to you. And, and one, this is also to, to just show Ben had two very successful projects. He had a following at that point. There are people that really did love the game and the expansion that he put out and we were all kind of like what's the next thing from floodgate so i'm going to turn it over to you ben to share what you think was an issue for getting king of clubs funded which of course was not successful you canceled it but it was looking like it wasn't going to fund so what problems did you see that made you want to cancel it yeah that's um that's a good question so i've thought probably way too much about that and <laughs> trying to trying to learn from what, what went on there. And without getting too much into the detail of what King of Clubs is all about, it's a very lightweight game with a very, very different theme. Not just different from Legacy and Forbidden Machines, but actually a theme that's quite different from most themes that you see. I mean, it's about competing teams of dancers and nightclubs. That's, that, that, that's definitely not something you see commonly. So I, I think that was kind of the, the start of, of what was going wrong here. Is this is kind of just that half step outside of what people are comfortable with mm -hmm. because it wasn't really like a twist on something or the inverted perspective from one uh, another thing that we're used to seeing and it really is this theme that's completely outside the uh outside the normal themes that you see and then furthermore is kind of outside of the even like secondary hobbies that most people have to board gaming I've seen lots of successful recently successful games that have themes like winemaking or building buildings and so forth. I mean, that, that that's a pretty common one, but those are things that people can relate to or um, compounded. It's a chemistry game. I mean, that's not a common theme, but a lot of people really can relate to that because that's something that they're interested in actively outside of tabletop gaming. But dancing at nightclubs, is, is that crossover is just, just about non-existent. So <laughs> I would say that that was, that was probably the first the first mistake, which is fine. I mean, we, we had some really passionate backers who really loved the completely different theme and the fact that it was refreshing and makes them, reminds them of their days dancing at nightclubs and so forth. But I would say the, the second biggest fail there was not getting anybody on board before the game launched. Mm -hmm. And that, that kind of feeds into what we were saying before about how important having reviews and previews is for a game, just to, to have that proof, even if you show the entirety of how a game plays. I thought I could rely on that. It's a simple game, so I can just show people and they'll say, yes or no, this is something for me. But just not having that respected voice kind of say, yep, this is good for what it is, 
I think that was that was probably the the second biggest thing. Yeah, that was one of the things that you and I had talked about quite a bit towards the end too. Just not necessarily. And again, it wasn't like, "Hey Ben, why didn't you send me this game?" <laughs> that that was never the conversation. Oh no, no, it was very much around you know what's going on here. And uh, it was in my mind one of the things was, and, and you kind of touched on, is that you know you had this following for a certain type of game so far, and you went very far in another direction. Yes. And while a lot of people wanted to trust it because it was part of the Floodgate Games, you know, lineup, it was so far and there was just nothing there. Like you said, you, you didn't have any reviews or anything. So there wasn't, there were probably quite a few people on that line ready to cross if they would have potentially seen something because, you know, again, it's like, oh, Floodgate's done good stuff, but this is so different. If just right. one person would tell me exactly. one way or the other. Well, and even at a, you know, sort more of a, an impulse price, I, yes. I think I, was, I had it for 10 or 12 bucks or something. I, not to spend other people's money, but I mean, definitely low, low cost on that one. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, I think I felt, I kind of consistently felt like that, like some, just one small thing is missing here to, to help people cross that line. And I think we're, we're just having reviews ahead of time was the biggest one there. And I think one thing too, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think this is something that you're even still kind of working on today. You know, with like Legacy from the beginning and then going into Forbidden, like Legacy, you didn't really approach anybody and that one knocked it out of the park. And then you kind of got aftermarket promotion, if you will, and got to just roll that into Forbidden Machines. And I know, like I said, that you're very active locally. Yeah. But I think you haven't really done a lot until recently. I mean... Epic Resort, you've done a lot more with than I've seen probably your other three games as far as social media and stuff like that and trying to get that broader look. I mean, you're still doing the local stuff, but you are trying to get that broader look at your games now. And I think that was also one thing with King of Clubs that you weren't necessarily getting that broader look at times. Would you agree with that? Oh, definitely. Part of that was intentional. I just didn't feel like it was a game worth sort of exhausting my contacts for, so to speak. I mean, folks who are reviewing games are inundated day in and day out with requests for reviews. And I kind of just didn't want to spend those credits, so to speak, with (laughs) with a game that I I felt was just kind of a stopgap game that me and my friends thought was really fun, that played really smooth and was kind of more of a filler style game. I didn't feel like it warranted that altogether. And I think I just kind of slammed too far to that end with that attitude. Okay. Well, and I do want to point out that you have recently put up King of Clubs on drive-through cards, right? Yeah, I felt like that was um that was actually a much more appropriate model for a game like this where doing the print on demand really makes a lot more sense. Honestly, like print run minimum quantities are so high that I think a, a game that's like this unless it really takes off, it's just not worth hanging on to 1400 extra copies of it or something like that. Mm-hmm. So doing print on demand is, I think, is really the ticket for that one. And I've seen some good response so far, which is nice. So, yeah, I think that it was nice that you were able to find a, a venue to get it out there and, and people can now check it out if they really wanted to. And yeah, there's, you know, little, little risk on your end at this point. So it's, it's kind of close to what you would do with a, you know, Kickstarter. You get to put it out there and people get to have it, but it's just the print on demand side of things, which I also kind of find funny again, because this is, you're, you kind of went in reverse. Right, uh, a lot. A lot of people would have told you, "Hey, King of Clubs, that's a card game. That should be your first thing because you'll you get your small project and start building up. And you did the two larger projects, and then you had your your small project kind of not go very far. And then now we're moving into another really nice large project. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to take you away from Kickstarter for a few minutes here. All right. I know we covered quite a few things there, but it's, you know, again, you and I never had this conversation before, even though I I had it in my head that we did. (laughs) Uh, So I I wanted to cover as much as possible, especially, like I said, I I have uh, in the past talked about the the King of Clubs in a vague sense deal for other people that have asked me, uh, you know, a similar in a similar situation. Yeah. Anybody learn from that for me? I mean, I'm I'm definitely open for having more conversations about it. I, I think I learned so much from, from that. And even though I did kind of do it backwards, as you say, I think it was still, I don't regret any minute of it. Such a great learning. 
it's not necessarily backwards. I mean, it's just a, a lot of the advice today. And I know like, uh, my friend, Jason Glover, he would say from uh great gnome games. Oh, sure. He would say the, the same thing. And he gives that advice all the time. Start with something small and just kind of start building up from there and, and, you know, get your foot in the door and get your reputation built up that way. And it's advice today, right? We've already talked about that. And, you know, your first project was back before people were giving this type of advice all the time. Right. There weren't as many resources. You couldn't go out to Jamie Stegmeyer's blog. You couldn't go out to James Matthews blog, uh, potentially at that time. Uh, you know what I mean? I mean, I wasn't doing my thing. Uh, Richard bliss, I think was, he was podcasting at that time. Wasn't he? things moving. Yeah, he was just starting. So yeah, I mean, so this whole, you know, fountain of information wasn't there at that time. So I mean, I always say like today, there's no reason to go in blind on anything. But back when you did Legacy, uh, a lot of it was blind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You guys guys were helping us figure out what was and wasn't working. And and of course, it's evolved since then as well. But uh, it was just, uh, we were all learning at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> All right, but what I want to ask you then is, so you're you're on your your fourth game that I'm aware of publicly. You don't have any other games out there that I, I nope. haven't talked about, right? These are your your well three and an expansion. Correct. Have you personally put together a design process for yourself, or is it going to necessary, or is it going to change like from game to game, or do you kind of sit down and say, here's my basic, here's here's my basic workflow to design a game? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I really approached I think I approached designing Legacy and Epic Resort fairly similarly, but they they were different. Mostly different because the sort of mechanisms that I wanted to have in the game were uh, the motions that people are doing and so forth and the sort of contour to the game I wanted to be quite different. So, I think the process had to had to adjust a little bit at a micro level to capture that, but in general, I think the sort of iterate iterate and gain feedback and revisit that whole cycle is pervasive throughout all of the game projects. Okay, so even from an early standpoint, like back when you were doing Legacy, you were designing and, and doing the playtesting and blind playtesting and getting feedback and, and reiterating? Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. This is all coming from your IT background, isn't it? <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> we, we like we like short iterations. And, and I mean, cor- incorporating feedback as quickly as possible and making the changes and being comfortable cutting things. I think if I were to give one piece of design advice, I, I wish I could remember the source, but basically it's always resonated with me that something is done when there's nothing left to take away. And I feel like I've tried to approach all of these game design projects that way, where you kind of smash a bunch of ideas together and iterate over it, but then what can I cut constantly? What what doesn't belong or what's not necessary? And really boiling a game down to its essence and what are the core concepts here? How How do I plan on people having fun? Is this fun? Asking those questions all the while. Yeah. JT Smith, when he was on for their Kickstarter from the Game Crafter, said that same thing. And I can't remember. He he got that advice from somebody else, I think over at Protospiel as well. But it was cut, cut, cut until you can't cut no more. And, and then you know you've got your game. And and so he he said that was some of the most valuable advice he got as well during one of the games that he's been designing recently. Yeah. The thing to not be afraid of is you're not getting rid of the idea that you're cutting permanently. You're, you're setting it aside and maybe it's something that you can revisit in an expansion and highlight or, or maybe even highlight as its own game idea altogether. But really boiling it down to what is this game all about? What are we doing here? Now, was Legacy like your very first design like that was your baby and you kept with that design or did you have multiple things going at once when i was working on legacy it was it was just that i I had a couple other smaller ideas that i kind of jotted down and set to the side but the idea of incorporating time travel into a board game and and capturing that as a theme uh, it was so compelling and so fascinating to me i i couldn't help but focus all my attention on on that and the reason i'm asking is because you know sometimes the uh, advice is never go with your first game (laughs) <laughs> you know, you know what I mean? Cause we, and I've, I've been in there too. I mean, we all get that. This is our baby yeah. game. And of course, you know, and these are people like I admin over on the game crafter chat as well. I help moderate their chat. And that's one of the things that, you know, every day, every couple of days you get somebody coming in and it's basically, you know, I'm putting my game up. This is the greatest game ever. It's going to cost you 80 bucks to buy it, but that's the game. And that, and there's no way it can get 
any better. So you need to put down the 80 bucks for it, you know, that kind of thing. And it's like, no, you, you, there's a good chance you need to go back and relook at it, (laughs) especially for a first game. I can definitely relate to, or I I can understand the advice. Honestly, like this really was my first major focused endeavor into designing a, a tabletop game. I, I guess I didn't have that piece of advice, and maybe I'm 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 happy for it. <laughs> well, it, it sounds like I mean you didn't treat it like you know your golden child. You didn't treat it like something that that couldn't be improved, which is really the gist of I think uh, that it, advice because it's your first game. People again tend to think of as their baby, and and you know don't I don't want to hear any feedback about it unless it's positive, and I can't do anything with it. If anything, I'm going to add more awesomeness onto it, and you know what I mean. Yeah, I think I, I think that's people getting confused between wanting some sort of validation versus wanting to make a great game. Yeah, <laughs> and they're they're kind of using game design as a, an outlet for validation as opposed to. Like this, this really cool thing I feel needs to exist, but it needs to exist in its best or most prime form. And that's, that's why be comfortable cutting things and, and boiling that game down to what it, what it needs to be. So it plays smooth and people have fun. And- All right. Before we move on to Epic Resort, cause we got it. We definitely got to get to Epic Resort. Uh, I have another, <laughs> I have another question for you because now you're, you're four deep for Kickstarter projects. Yeah. Is the fact that you're utilizing Kickstarter coming into play in your design process at this point at all? I would have to say yes to a degree. Uh, I mean, now I, I kind of have the, I try to keep the entire vision in my head as I'm working on a game and like, how am I going to plan on getting this produced? And unfortunately, having to keep costs in mind as you're sort of playing around with what the components will be and, and so forth and and kind of making the the adjustments where you can that don't compromise the the gameplay, but do maybe save on a little bit of money or space or weight in the box. So not to Kickstarter specifically necessarily, but I certainly think that keeping in mind the entire life cycle of idea to finished product is definitely pervasive throughout the design process, which can be double edged as well. That just seems like smart thinking anyway, <laughs> if you're going to be producing a game and putting the money out and, and all that good stuff. But the reason I started kind of asking this question a bit is because Kickstarter has changed so much and evolved so much, and today's Kickstarter market and Kickstarter customer is basically almost requires stretch goals. Yeah, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So then, you know, as a designer... You don't want to put out a half-baked game and hope you stretch goal into the game you meant to make, but people want stretch goals. So how have you kind of had to deal with that? Yeah, I I feel like I kind of went out on a limb, so to speak, with Epic Resort. And I know we haven't talked too much about the detail of it, but in short, I feel like component-wise, the game it needed to be ended up actually being a significantly higher cost from the quotes I've received than I originally anticipated. But at the same time, I feel like the the game's heftiness or weight really didn't warrant a much higher price than where I have it at, which is the base reward level of forty dollars. So I'm I'm kind of uh, not to get too much into financials, but I'm I'm definitely I feel underpricing it and really front loading a lot of value for the backer there because all the while I upon following many Kickstarter projects myself, the consistent thing I see with stretch rewards is that it almost always feels like someone designed a game and then stripped a bunch of stuff out of it, offered that as the base game, and then offered each of these things back as stretch rewards. Right. That all the while they've intended for them to be in the game, or they maybe play-tested with them, and they're, in in a sense, if not core to the game, at least a close, close second. And that model has never really sat well with me. I'm not necessarily trying to uh, convey that anybody's explicitly doing this, but I've kind of gotten that feeling from quite a few projects recently, and I didn't want to go that route. Like you're saying, have the strong offering. The, the game is what it needs to be, and then we'll kind of tick our boxes and upgrade where we can in terms of, well, maybe the, the punch boards could be a little thicker, or we'll upgrade to black core card stock or something like that. Right. I mean, the component upgrade thing is a pretty common one, and that makes some 
good sense, obviously. I mean, you, you need more money to make that happen. But like you're saying, I mean, there's a lot of things. It's just like, and it's a fine line. I, I understand. And there, I know I've talked to some people that have said, well, this, you know, we were still play testing this piece, so it, it didn't fit into the core game, but we wanted to keep working with it and figure that would make a good stretch goal. And that's fine. And, and I understand that stuff. And there, you know, it, and things with, you know, well, you have a card game. So there is the potential for promo cards and stuff like that. But you do get that fine line, and I, you know, and, and I've talked to a few people that have said, yeah, it, it kind of does start to creep into my design process a bit because while I'm designing, and if I think of something, I can go, oh, that would make a good stretch goal. And again, you you walk that fine line. Are, are you putting out the game that you really want to put out, and that your end user is going to find a solid game? without the stretch goals or are you trying to stretch into the game you really wanted to make <laughs> and I, I i don't like that aspect <laughs> yeah me either that just doesn't resonate and i try to reserve even historically the the promotional co- components that i've offered have really been the the sort of out of the box things they're they're either a little silly or goofy or too complex or like the kickstarter technology card was for legacy gears of time was just absurdly expensive to play and had this ridiculous victory point value and everything but it was it was certainly intended to be a playable game component that kind of had had some sort of ridiculousness to it and and that's kind of the approach i i came up with a couple different cards where for epic resort where the idea is just like Nope, that's, there's no way to make that balance, but it's still a really fun idea. We'll do it as a promo card so that people can kind of toss this in after they play a few games and, and goof around with it, but knowing full well that they it really does throw off the balance of the game. So I think that's kind of an appropriate way to gauge, like, is this part of the game or is this kind of just something extra and, and twisty that you can add on later? Excellent. I just wanted to get your opinion. I, li- I like to get almost everybody's opinion on it now that that question has kind of started sticking in my head uh, for the last few months or so. All right. Uh, you know what? Why don't you go ahead and give me your uh, high-level overview of Epic Resort? Sounds great. It's a card-based worker placement slash deck-building game. Uh, those are two mechanisms that are in the game, and the theme is that you, as a player, are a resort owner who's building and upgrading attractions and working with their own staff in order to attract fantasy heroes and tourists to their resort. And these heroes are coming because they they need to get rest. So they start with very low health and you attract these tourists who you use to get money every turn from them. But at the end of each round, the more that you've lured into your resort, the more likely monsters will attack. So as you're refilling the, the center pile where you draft from, monster attacks might trigger. The monsters pick who they're attacking. It's usually whoever has the most heroes are the most tourists at the resort. And when that happens, you can have your hero be a hero and defend the tourists. Or they could jump out of the way and letting the monster eat the tourists and wreak havoc on the uh, on the attraction. Yeah, apparently Jordan's not real thrilled about me uh, letting my tourists be eaten all the time. <laughs> he brought it up several times during our review. Which, by the way, uh, if anybody hasn't heard it, if you go to allusgeeks.com, episode 39 was where we took a look at Epic Resort. And that is uh, that was during our hectic month. So that entire episode is only Epic Resort, our review for that. So uh, you can go check that out if you want to know what we thought. But spoiler alert, we love it. <laughs> we, we both enjoyed the game very much and uh, look forward to playing it again. And uh, I am officially a backer of Epic yeah. Resort because yeah. <laughs> it is definitely a great game, and it definitely brings a lot of interesting things to the the whole genre. The deck building part is definitely kind of cool and interesting, and and an interesting take on it for you know building this resort for your fantasy heroes to come kind of <laughs> hang out and chill. And uh, you know what, that dragon is attacking the tiki hut. I think I'll be over on the beach. <laughs> I'm going to step aside here and let that happen. So uh, I just want to point out, too, that, of course, like we said, Epic Resort is on Kickstarter right now. You can go check that out, and I will have the link in the show notes. It is going until April 6th, 2014. Ben is looking for $20,000, and I think the last time I checked, you were uh, approaching 80%. 80%, yeah. It's been, it's been a really great reception so far, just over a few days. And backers getting really involved in the comments area. And it's just been fantastic to, to build that little community and, and get feedback and 
just have it be a more interactive experience. I love it. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun to watch, and I'm uh, super excited that you're uh, getting so close to, to the goal already, and it'll be a, a fun project to kind of watch. You've kind of hit on it a little bit, but what did you make sure you had in place for your fourth Kickstarter project? Reviews. <laughs> I've actually gotten feedback that uh, this is sort of the most reviews some people have ever seen for a project before it launched, so... I kind of took that as a compliment and maybe maybe a little bit of a detriment, but I just I really wanted to make sure that you know each person kind of has their own reviewers that they that they have that resonate with their tastes and so forth. So I wanted to cover as much of the spectrum as I could with some differing opinions and and really help show people that hey each of these different reviewers who has each of their own unique opinions can give you an explanation of why you might like the game. Yeah, you've done a really good job of covering the spectrum, and it it really is. I mean, you you're absolutely correct in that and we say it all the time you know it's a game reviewer is just another opinion we've kind of formed our opinion over various ways and and review in various ways uh and, and we look at a lot of different games but at the end of the day it's it's an opinion and and if you follow somebody and uh decide hey you know that nine times out of 10, I agree with a lot of what this person says and their tastes and stuff like that, then that's the person you're going to kind of go to and, and check out. But I always also encourage people to check out, you know, multiple reviews, even from people that you might not necessarily agree with and just get a, a nice, well-rounded opinion of a game. And Ben has done an excellent job of getting a very well-rounded look at his game. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. And I mean, the feedback during the process was great too. A lot of stuff that was you, you'll see some some resonating themes, uh, knowing that I'm sending prototype components to people, and it's great to get that feedback on what works and what doesn't. Sort of at this point in the project too, where where there's still an opportunity to adjust and tweak. All right. So one of the questions I like to ask, and uh, let's say somebody's checking out Epic Resort, even with all of those opinions on the page. <laughs> Somebody is going, eh, I think I might like this game, but I'm not 100% sure yet. What are a couple things that you would tell somebody to make them go, you know what, you're right, Ben, I absolutely have to back Epic Resort? Yeah, I worked really hard to make sure that the, the game experience is not just immersive in the sense that you're you're really into the gameplay, but that you really feel like at every turn you're you're doing the things that you're saying you're doing in the game. I'm actually upgrading one of my workers to another by sending away this apprentice low-level worker and gaining the the maitre d' who's really good at working at food-style attractions. So all the while, every one of the mechanisms that you're doing really feeds into that. Like when when a monster eats the tourist, you actually pluck off a little tourist cube from from your attraction and, and bring it back to the supply. So a lot of those those things really tie in. Uh, I tried to make them tie in very nicely to both me the mechanics to the theme. So I feel like the immersion there is really high. And then just mechanically, strictly, I think there's a lot of interesting offerings, with particularly around the deck building aspect of the game, where you start out with a small deck of 13 cards. And anytime you're training a worker, one of your cards in your deck, you're always training them one for one. So you'll send a worker away, and then you'll gain a skilled worker that has new special abilities or uh, is more efficient at working. And you, you gain them to your hand on top of that. So for one, you don't have to wait around to, to see your cool cards that you buy. And for two, you're going to see them more frequently because your deck stays lean by design. So those pieces are, I think, really a little bit unique to the game and play really nicely to the, to the theme. On top of it, when you're drafting, you actually lock the worker pile that you draft from such that none of the players during that round, including yourself, can take one of those workers again. So this kind of uh, controlled growth where no one player can necessarily run away with taking all of a particular worker from the uh, drafting area. Right. And you hit on some really cool things. And the other thing, too, is, I mean, you're, you're locking the worker. There's a very limited number of each worker. Yeah, four of each. Yeah. Uh, there's there's one, one or two small exceptions to that. But, yeah, for the most part, four of each. So it, it is. A, it's a very cool blend of mechanics. Like you said, you've got a little bit of the worker placement in there. Uh, you've got a lot of the deck building stuff in there, but with some really nice twists <laughs> that make this very interesting and including kind of kind of deck building uh, your resort a little bit as well. And of course, you've got, you know, some resource management stuff in there because you've got, you're looking at how to staff your resort to keep 
keep or lose Taurus because you might want Flare to go after some heroes and try to get them to come over, uh, or you might really want more gold and all of that stuff. So there's there's just a lot of things kind of blending in here to make a really interesting game. On top of that, just the theme is 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 so cool. You did a really good job with the theme. It's really cool to kind of have the the whole fantasy style heroes after the adventure, licking their wounds in, in this resort island or, or whatever and uh, trying to heal up. And like we said, you know, it's like, uh, the dragon is attacking your tiki hut. You know what? I, I'm on vacation. <laughs> I need to rest up yeah. here. Yeah, just all those little things are, are really cool. So I, I think you've done an excellent job. And uh, I will, I am going to say right now that I definitely think everybody should at least go out and check it out. Uh, check it's out. not just the artwork. I, I'm I'm so impressed with what they put together. Yes, the artwork is very nice on this, very whimsical, and it fits the the theme we're talking about. It's it's it, it is absolutely beautiful. I look forward. That was the one thing I know when we were playing. It was just like I can't wait to see the you know because obviously we were playing with a prototype. So anything that we had that was sketch, we were like, oh, I can't wait to see what this is going to look like when it's fully colored and and on the card. So definitely uh, great artwork as well. I agree. That was uh, my lead artist is Jackie Davis. I think she finished up Bell of the Ball last year for the Dice Amy Games. Yes, that was very well done too. Yeah, I'll, yeah. There you go. There, you, that's where I kind of yeah that art style because I I'm I got behind Bell of the Ball too because Daniel uh, did a really good job on that game and the artwork that they put together through Dice Hate Me is was really nice on that too. Yeah. All right. So uh, I'm a. Can I assume? Now, unfortunately, I'm not uh, this year. But can I assume you'll be at uh, Gen Con here in 2014? You got another booth? Yeah, we uh, we actually have a 20 by 20 booth this year, so it's nice. going to be big. It's going to be epic. All right. So there you go. If you are at Gen Con 2014 and you've got a game idea, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please come by and let's chat for an hour. <laughs> uh, just everybody's welcome. Come by, chat. Say hi, particularly Kickstarter backers. I I love being able to meet every one of them in person and shake their hand and thank them so much for taking a chance and really going out on a limb to fund my my vision of what I want this game to be. I will go on record as saying, you know, I I've like I said, I know Ben. Ben and I met way back when. I've talked to him at, at Gen Con while he was working the booth. Uh, I talked to him at Con of the North. At Con of the North, uh, I believe when we first met, mm-hmm. Ben didn't really know who I was. <laughs> but nice guy just really nice guy and he really is willing to talk to you about the games and about what's going on and he does appreciate his backers so i would i would definitely encourage anybody if they get a chance to go uh take a moment and say hi to him all right ben i think we're kind of uh at the end of our time here sounds great so i want to thank you for coming on man uh like i said i i just feel like I feel like you were a return guest because we have talked in the past and and we do talk off and on and and I'm glad that we finally got to get you on the game of crowdfunding and definitely come back uh, for the next big successful project. Yeah, I'd love to. And thank you so much, Jeff. I appreciate it. So once again, Epic Resort is on Kickstarter right now. It goes until Sunday, April 6th, 2014. Ben's looking for $20,000. We got him 80% of the way there right now, but he can use the extra uh, 20% there. Not to mention, we need to hit some of those stretch goals. This is a very cool game that you guys should go check out. Thanks for checking us out, and I will talk to you later. This podcast is a proud member of the GeekCast Network. If you enjoyed it and are looking for other podcasts with a geek culture slant, head over to geekcastnetwork.com, where you will find podcasts such as Almost Podcast a fan-driven companion podcast for the Almost Human television show, The Geek Cast Network. You can broadcast your geekiness at geekcastnetwork.com.